Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga. We leave right after the program is over, head over into South Carolina. We'll be in Mullins, South Carolina at the Mullins First Baptist Church for a two-day prophecy conference, all day Sunday and then Monday evening as well. This is a key time in the history of our world to be looking at the current events that are unfolding across this world. They seem to be giving us indication that there is a prophetic scenario which is found in the Word of God that is coming better into focus each and every day. That's why I ask you for 90 minutes with my broadcast partners who are on location in many of these places where we'll be talking about. They give us the insight, the analysis of what is happening, and then at the end of the broadcast, I'll give you a prophetic perspective. Number one is Ken Timmerman. He's our broadcast partner that really covers the world. He's an international journalist and author and just a real good friend of us here on the program. Ken, let me get underway. Iran's Salami, who is the man who replaced Soleimani after he was taken out by the United States Special Ops, he is warning that the impotent Israel is now in range of an Iranian attack. In other words, all parts of Israel could be hit pretty quickly by Iran. What's the latest on this? Well, Jimmy, this is, I think, the kind of standard bluster that we are used to hearing from Iranian Revolutionary Guards commanders. General Salami has been around for quite some time. He's been rattling his uh, broken saber at Israel every other day and using it as a cane on the odd days. Look, I think what he is referring to, though, are two things important. Uh, One, he claims that Israel's soldiers are war-weary, that they've been fighting a front-line battle now for years and years, and I I mean since uh, 2006, the battle against Hezbollah in Lebanon, Uh, not since 1947, but specifically since 2006 against Iran, and that they are losing their capabilities and losing their uh, their enthusiasm, losing their morale. These things are simply not true. And the second thing I think he's referring to, which is potentially more significant, is the development by Iran of new classes of missiles, which they have recently demonstrated. They have both a new solid-fuel missile called the Sejil, which they have recently shown in public for the first time. We've been hearing about this for many years, but the first time footage of it has ever been shown in public. We don't know if it's a real missile yet. It hasn't been successfully test-launched. The second are a series of uh, liquid-fuel missiles that are much with much bigger rocket motors than they've had in the past. These can reach all of Israel as well. Bottom line here, Jimmy, Iran is ginning up its troops, ginning up its allies uh, across the region to fight a major battle on Israel. They're warning about it all the time. They're using it to recruit new Hezbollah troops in Lebanon and elsewhere. We just don't know what the jumping-off date is. Well, talk to me about Turkey, though. They're not uh, rattling a sword necessarily, but they are threatening to go after Russia and the Russian back offensive of Bashar Assad there in the northeastern section of Syria, uh, they're up near Idlib. And uh, as the Syrian forces are moving towards the border with Turkey and being backed by Russia, Turkey's getting really upset about this, aren't they? 
Well, uh, and the Russians are getting very worried of these threats, of this very real threat from Erdogan to launch a very significant invasion into the Idlib area against Syrian troops. Uh, reports that we're getting from Reuters and others uh, suggest that there are 15,000 Turkish soldiers and special forces troops in northwest Syria today. That's a very large reinforcement. More convoys are pouring into the area from Turkey as we speak. Uh, and the Russians themselves have been warning about this. They're saying this would be a disaster. We don't want to see a confrontation between Turkey and the Syrian government. Why? Because, as you mentioned, Russia is supporting the Syrian government and it's offensive. Here's where the two countries have a, uh, a battle, if you wish, have a conflict, Jimmy. The Turks are actually supporting remnants of ISIS in Idlib and northwestern Syria against the Syrian regime. So just as they did in 2014 when they supported the original ISIS, today Turkey is supporting a regenerated ISIS, a renamed or rebranded ISIS in northwestern Syria. The Syrian government is trying to kill them and trying to get them out of that region, and the Russians are helping them. So that is a very real conflict, and now we see the Turks reinforcing militarily to carry it out. Uh, speaking of Islamic State, I read an article this week. I want to see what your opinion is. It's titled, Back from the Dead, Islamic State is Bigger Than They Were Before They Took Over Iraq and Syria. How true is that, or is it just uh, more propaganda? You know, we see reports like this periodically, and I hate to be political about it, but we see many of these come Democrats on Capitol Hill who claim that President Trump has not destroyed ISIS as he claims he has. I'd like to know where these 20,000 ISIS troops uh, that are mentioned in this one recent report in the U.K., where are they hiding out? Uh, where are their bases? What territory do they own? Where are they getting their money? Uh, how are they organized on the ground? Because there is not, as far as we know, and, and, and these are recent reports from the U.S. Department of Defense, there is no ISIS-controlled territory left in Iraq or Syria. They don't control t territory. So if they've got 20,000 soldiers out there, I'd sure like to know where they're hanging out. Yeah, we need to stay on top of that story. But then you're mentioning President Trump, and let me just follow up on his pledge during the candidacy for the presidency. He made the statement he wanted to get out of endless wars across the world, especially in the Middle East. And as we watch very carefully, we see Russia, China, and Iran moving in as the United States moves out. That's pretty much on target, is it not? Well, that's true. And, and that is part of uh, President Trump's strategy. He doesn't see the utility of constantly uh, plowing U.S. treasure and the blood of our loved ones in the uh, military into the Middle East in places that are not of strategic interest to the United States, Afghanistan. What is our strategic interest in Afghanistan? There's really only one thing we care about is the ability of an al-Qaeda-type group or an ISIS-type group to have a massive base in Afghanistan where we cannot reach them, from which they could launch terror attacks on the United States. And the way the U.S. military has been reorganizing in recent years, and especially with the, with the rebuilding of the military, uh, thanks to President Trump and increased defense budgets, uh, that's just not going to happen. We can reach them wherever they are. We can reach them with standoff forces. We can reach them with special operations uh, forces. We do not need to have 
the extensive uh, manpower presence on the ground that uh, existed at the end of the Obama administration. We can withdraw those troops. So the, the Pentagon, the you know, Secretary Pompeo has talked this week about significant advances in the peace talks with the Taliban. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if we will get to a peace treaty in Afghanistan, but there's certainly no strategic reason to the defense of the United States to have a large presence there. But, Jimmy, there's one other thing, and this is really critically important. What is happening behind the scenes here is a real shift in the U.S. national defense strategy. It's not a secret. It's been declared to Congress, but nobody seems to pay much attention to it. And the shift is this, to move away from the war on terror, or the war against terrorist groups, and to move back into a more traditional defensive posture against major nation-states, such as Russia, China, and Iran. Now, you can argue that as we pull out of the Middle East, if we pull some of our troops out of Syria, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, etc., we make room for Iran, China, and Russia. That's very true. That is definitely very true. But let them go fight those battles and see how they feel 20 years from now after they've lost 5,000 uh, soldiers and spent $6 trillion. Let me talk to you about Saudi Arabia just a moment. They have been seemingly moving closer to Israel because of the threat that Iran is to Saudi Arabia. And they've recently asked the question, if Russia cannot curb Iran in Syria, how can Israel do it? That's a viable question. Well, the Saudis are worried. I think that's what it really amounts to. And they are worried as they see that Russia has stepped back from previous efforts in Syria to curb Iranian aggression against Israel, to curb Iran's presence there, to keep Iran from building new military bases in Syria, and constantly bringing in weapons. Uh, But I think, you know, the Saudis are worried because they don't want to confront Iran. And they're kind of worried that Israel might give up on the fight. But I don't see the Israelis doing that. The Israelis have just recently reconfirmed a, a, an ongoing plan called Operation Momentum to go after Iranian forces in Syria. There's a tacit agreement to, between Israel and the United States to divide up the enemy. And the United States will deal with the enemy being Iran in Iraq, uh, in Afghanistan, and Israel will deal with that enemy in Syria. So the Israelis are very, very good at spotting Iranian armed shipments into Syria and taking them out, we're told. And, and this is a very significant thing. Uh, the Iranians can replace those generals with whoever they like, but the Israelis will keep on taking them out. Sooner or later, the Iranians are going to get the picture and stop sending those senior commanders into Syria because the Israelis will take them out. That's the voice of Ken Timmerman. He's the man, the broadcast partner we bring to the broadcast table on a weekly basis to hear what his input is about these geopolitical activities around the world. And then later on, I will give you a prophetic perspective as to how each of these places that we've mentioned with Ken are a part of that end-time prophetic scenario. Ken, great report. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you again next week. Jimmy, always a pleasure to be with you. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East News Update with David Dolan. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, as we've said. Right after we go to Mullins, South Carolina, First Baptist Church, Robbie Baxley is the pastor there, wanting each and every one of you in that listening area to join us as we have a two-day prophecy conference, all day Sunday and then Monday evening. That's the Mullins, First Baptist Church, in Mullins, South Carolina. Now let's go to Dave Dolan. As we promised, he's a man who's going to give us our Middle East news update. And David, Iran's Salami, who replaced Soleimani when he was taken out by a American ops operation, the Special Ops Forces, and he is warning now that Israel is now in range of any and every Iranian attack. In other words, a threat, hey, Israel, we can get you wherever you are, so be prepared. Well, that's just the latest, as you say, in a series of these sorts of statements uh, coming for some years now from Iran, that Israel will be totally wiped out, her cities will be destroyed, the Jews will be driven out of the Middle East, etc. And uh, this, though, comes as we have new photos this week that the Iranians published of their latest missile, Jimmy, and this one has the Israelis the most worried of all. It's the Sajil medium-range rocket. It's designed to carry nuclear warheads. It was shown, as I said, on Iranian media this week. It's about 60 feet tall. It can reach about 1,500 miles to 2,000 miles, which is well within range of Israel. It's powered by solid fuel, but the most important difference between it and the earlier Shihab uh, series of rockets that the Iranians have produced is that it can 
be launched at an angle. It doesn't have to be standing upright like the others do to be launched, meaning it can be launched from underground bunkers sideways and come out of them. So there would be no satellite warning beforehand that such a rocket was being set up or prepared for launch as, as Israel can now today do with the more conventional rockets. But yes, they have them in Iran. Of course, we've talked about uh, Lebanon being covered with them, Hezbollah having maybe up to 160,000. We hear different uh, assessments of that, but many rockets, and of course in recent years they've been putting on these GPS devices to make them precision-guided rockets that can hit a precise target from uh, hundreds of miles away. We know that they're supplying rockets into Gaza still, and yes, into Yemen, the Houthi rebels, the U.S. has intercepted recently some more shipments. I think they've said eight or nine shipments over the past year have been intercepted, but many don't get intercepted and do get through. So these are, are grave threats to Israel, and they're watching it real closely. But of course, they're not just sitting and watching. They're preparing their responses, and we talked about the, the new laser anti-missile system that Israel announced a few weeks ago they're working on that will uh, hopefully be able to increase their deterrence and increase their ability to take out any rockets that are fired at it. We have the Iron Dome and David Sling and several other systems already existing to do that, but a very difficult situation for Israel sitting with this the large enemy, Iran, not just to its east, but arming these other forces all around it, including, of course, in Syria and Iraq. And, David, that is mentioning the threat out of the north for the Jewish state of Israel. Meanwhile, the defense minister, Naftali Bennett, says the way to stop any activities from Hamas out of the Gaza Strip is to focus on Iran and Syria. Now, This is a way that he suggests you might be able to take care of the threat in the South as well. Well, Jimmy, really today with the announcement of President Trump's uh, deal of the century peace plan that was uh, publicly backed by several of the Gulf state Arab countries, as you know, and Qatar in particular, but others, United Arab Emirates and others, that Egypt is uh, backing and that Saudi Arabia is quietly backing, it means that the Palestinians really don't have any regional allies anymore that might just jump into a battle on their behalf eagerly, apart from one, and that is Iran. Iran, a non-Arab country, Persian uh, background, their language is totally different, uh, Farsi from Arabic, uh, but they're Muslims, and they have you know, picked up that mantle of being the Palestinians' main defender and main uh, provider of weapons and main provider of financial aid to upgrade their weapons systems. So Bennett is right. If Iran is dealt with, the whole situation in the region will be dramatically different and uh, presumably dramatically better for Israel. But, of course, in any major war, they could suffer great losses, and they're quite aware of that, and they're not looking for war. Like I've said so many times, they didn't invite Iran to come and and set up these militias all around and, and arm everyone and do all of this, but it's what's happened and is happening, and the Israelis one day will have to deal with it. And as I said about a month ago, Jimmy, the Prime Minister indicating that after the election in Israel on March 2nd, the window will open up for Israel to deal with Iran because they are now on a nuclear breakout where it would just take several months possibly for them to have 
a nuclear bomb to put on this new Sajil medium-range rocket that they displayed and hit Israel with nuclear weapons. The prime minister said that's never going to happen. President Trump has said the same thing, and I think we're going to see some preemptive action if we don't have a clash that just develops before that. David, you mentioned the Trump peace plan. Uh, The nation of Jordan across the Jordan River there and extending the entire eastern border of the state of Israel, Jordan is saying they're still standing firm against the Trump peace plan in spite of the fact that it may risk ties that they have with the United States. They're concerned. They don't want this Trump peace plan. No, they don't. And the one predictable element of it was that it was going to be opposed by the Palestinians. And uh, Jordan, as you've pointed out, a majority of their citizens are of Palestinian origin. They consider themselves the protector of the Palestinians officially and certainly of the Temple Mount and the holy sites, which is legally the case. They are the custodians of that in place of the Palestinians, as it were. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it means annexation of the Jordan Valley. Uh, the prime minister actually was south of Jerusalem in Har Homa. I think you've been there near Bethlehem, a southern Jewish community between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And he pointed out that it has now close to 40,000 residents, that it's a major city in Israel. And that was very controversial when that was built by him, actually, in his first term in the 90s that was started. But he announced that 4,000 more homes are going to be built in Judea and Samaria, and especially they're going to build a new community called Givat Hamatos, and that's going to be right in the area next to Har Homa with about 3,000 homes and maybe 12,000 residents. And he also announced 1,000 new homes for Palestinians in the uh, Arab village of Beit Safafa. That's in East Jerusalem because they're uh, needing more homes. So it, it was a... Uh, you know, new homes for Jews and new homes for Palestinians, but Palestinians don't want to see any new Jewish homes there at all, certainly not a new Jewish community. This would be the first brand-new community, Jimmy, in many years, actually, if it is built. And so they're very much opposed to that, and Jordan is screaming about that as well. Yeah, I was actually a journalist on the ground there in Jerusalem when they took the shovel and broke the ground for that project there at Har Homah. And the British foreign minister was there. He was denouncing the whole thing at the same time. Now, you were talking about this. Is this a political move by Netanyahu in light of the upcoming elections? Or is this just simply an endeavor to completely circle center Jerusalem with uh, people that are Jewish instead of Arab? Well, he, as he pointed out, this plan has been in existence for nearly 10 years. It was earlier approved by uh the cabinet and that but it just never got implemented and yes his policy is very clearly to surround jerusalem with uh, jewish residents as much as possible it is as after all israel's capital city and uh, the jewish heartland really in the world is uh, jerusalem with the temple mount at its center but he certainly knows that elections are coming up on march 2nd and this will certainly be a popular move with the Likud uh, voters and uh, other, the other uh, right-wing parties that support him. So uh, the timing is probably not coincidental. But on the other hand, this has been a plan, as I say, in the works for some time. And after the announcement of the president's plan, he feels a 
freer hand, apparently, to do some of these things, to release some of these projects that were already in the planning stages, and, and that's what's happening. And it will help him out probably politically, but we'll still see whether he remains as prime minister or not. Still very much an open question. Absolutely. It's still very much open. And you and I will spend some time talking about that upcoming elections next time we get together here on Prophecy Today. David, thank you so very much for your Middle East news update. Always appreciate it, and we certainly need it as we look at the end-time scenario found in God's Word. Talk to you next week, buddy. Will do, Jimmy. God bless. Going to take a break when we come back. Winky Madad standing by. There were two United States congressmen, one of them you know pretty well, Jim Jordan. They were in Israel this week. Winky will give us that report. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to our second half hour of Prophecy Today. I need three of these half hours, a total of 90 minutes, And with my broadcast partners, we're going to give you all the details on current events happening around the world that seem to be setting the stage for the prophetic scenario found in the Bible, basically written by the prophets of the Bible, uh, those ancient Jewish prophets foretelling what is going to happen at this time in history where we find ourselves actually pre-writing history. So glad you could join us. We're going to leave here. We're at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, but we'll leave right after the broadcast, heading over to Mullins, South Carolina. At the First Baptist Church there will be all day Sunday and then Monday evening. I believe Mullins is just a bit to the northeast of Florence, South Carolina. So love to have you come and join us if you're in that region of the area. Robbie Baxley is the pastor, inviting you to join us at the morning service, 1015, and then in the afternoon, a prophecy Q&A, evening services, and on Monday, we're going to repeat that prophecy Q&A, and then the evening service. Some very important issues to discuss with you. Everybody is talking about what seems to be apocalyptic events, apocalyptic-like, at least, events that are happening, the swarms of locusts all across the African continent, 
and of course the disease, the virus coming out of China. Well, we'll try to bring you the latest information on all of that. We're going to do it here on Prophecy Today. Now, one of our broadcast partners, a favorite guy to have a conversation with for me is Winky Madad. He's in a place called Shiloh. It's in the center part of the state of Israel. Great biblical and historic background. When the Jewish people came in to the promised land for the very first time, uh, they headquartered for about 300, 350 years there in Shiloh. They erected there at that point the tabernacle where they housed the Ark of the Covenant. One of the reasons I want to talk about the tabernacle and the activities there in Shiloh with Winky Madad, that's the broadcast partner, is because he had a couple of very famous visitors this week come up and be with him. At least two members of the United States Congress from Ohio, Representative Jim Jordan and Mike Johnson from over in Louisiana. Now, you might remember Jim Jordan. He was that tiger uh, that was in defense of President Trump during the impeachment process. He was in the House of Representatives, and boy, he was always making appearances and trying to drive those who were trying to convict the president back into the wall. I want to ask you this question first, Winky, before we get into what you were doing. Is Jim Jordan that active, or is he a little bit more laid back in person? Well, Jimmy, I can tell you that uh, the hour, hour and a half I spent with him, he was calm and collected, taking in the views, the information. I must also point out that both congressmen were accompanied with their wives, uh, so it was a joint family, personal, and political 10 days, I think, they had here, almost 10 days they had here. They were all over the place, both up north on the Golan, in the Galil, in Judea, Samaria, uh, down the Beersheba, I think they got. And, of course, they met not only with me, Jimmy, but with Prime Minister Netanyahu and at least two other ministers uh, that I also know, drinking in knowledge and trying to get uh, the lay of the land and the understanding of Israel right up close, not from the media, not from the newspapers, and not from uh, certain other groups that are very, shall we say, not sympathetic to the presence of Jews throughout the biblical homeland. Well, that's great. On-site inspection. So then when they go back to the House of Representatives, they'll be able to vote with some knowledge of what is being talked about there in the land of Israel. I understand, Winky, they also were able to visit the the Temple Mount under the direction of Yehuda Glick, former member of the Knesset there in Israel, and also he was the head at one time of the Temple Institute. That's the group that's preparing to build the next temple. They had a great visit until after the congressman left, and then Yehuda Glick was arrested. What do we know? Well, actually, it was the same morning that I saw them at Shiloh. They were up early because it opens up at about 7 o'clock, and, and the best time to get up there is as early as possible because then the police are a little bit more relaxed and give you some more time. And I understood from the people who accompanied the congressman with Yehuda Glick that the police were a little bit upset at Yehuda taking too much time explaining to them. Uh, of course, they don't understand that these are two congressmen, and as you mentioned, one is fairly well-known and recognized 
in the United States, and you get to give a little bit of leeway. Although, of course, uh, Yehuda is Jewish, they aren't, so they should get a little bit more deference, unless, of course, they thought maybe they were going to pray or do something that would disturb the status quo. In any case, uh, Yehuda Glick came back after they left. It was totally disconnected. And he uh, tried to get into the most southern portion of the Temple Mount. Jimmy, you and I have been up there. We know there's a huge open esplanade in the southeast corner of the Temple Mount. It's all the area that was added by Herod, and it has great underground uh, findings and, and artifacts, but unfortunately most of it now is taken up by a mosque. Police told him to leave, and he was a little bit slow in getting out of there. I saw a film clip. I think he was trying to text message maybe the minister at the time, but in the, they detained him, and then he got into all sorts of police trouble, uh, basically bureaucratic. They misplaced some of their papers and ended up that he had taken them erroneously because he found them in his personal file, and he returned it to his lawyer, and that was basically the end. It was a very big embarrassment. It was... It was it was the Keystone Cops all around, what can I tell you? <laughs> the Keystone Cops. It seems to me, Winky, your word crafting is so excellent. The Keystone Cops up there just because you're walking a little bit slow. Well, I do understand that one of the congressmen, Mike Johnson from Louisiana, he was uh, quoted by some of the media uh, that uh, Israel ought to go into more information about why can't all members of every religious group, both the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians, be able to go up there, take their their books that are of their religion, the Bible or the Quran, and even spend some time praying up there? That was a very interesting situation coming out of that visit to the Temple Mount by Jim Jordan and Mike Johnson, two members of the United States Congress. Well, I don't know while they were up there if they saw the poster that Hamas had placed up in front of the Dome of the Rock. Uh, but this is pretty controversial. I want to know what you know about it, Winky. The fact is that uh, the poster depicted a member of Hamas with a Kalashnikov rifle pointed at President Trump President of Egypt, al-Sisi, and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, and the call for assassination of these three men. What do you know about this report? Well, Jimmy, that happened, if I'm not mistaken, last Friday. You have to understand that on Friday, no Jews are allowed up. Also on Saturdays. Uh, we're trying to change that because in the past, Saturdays were open because only Friday is their holy day. And, and so the police are a lot less present at the time, and they sort of don't keep a close watch. And that's when, in the past and also on Friday, uh, demonstrations come out, masked people uh, chanting, raving, and all sorts of political activity. And as you said, uh, they indicated a violent response to diplomatic suggestions for peace negotiations. And if this is the reaction of elements, I'm not going to say all, but elements within the uh, society of Arabs in, in, in the land of Israel, what they call Palestine, uh, obviously to you, to, to me, and I think many of our listeners, this does not bode well for even trying to approximate some sort of peace agreement or arrangement mm. or even coexistence. If, yeah. if they have to always resort to violence, and it's not only here, Jimmy, uh, just this week we had other instances around the world, 
And the past months, you and I have been discussing many of these Islamist extremist activity. And I think, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Jimmy, but I think they could be more condemned and denounced by establishment Muslim figures so that we feel comfortable uh, in dialogue between religions, not only on the political effort here in Israel, uh, which we're talking about now, but also simply, as you mentioned, between faith. If, if, if I can't go up in the Temple Mount, and you as a Christian can't go up in the Temple Mount and read from our holy books, we're not saying at the present moment to build a temple or, or any other or a synagogue or a church, which was done in the past, but to benefit from the site, from the, from the sacredness that I'm, I'm sure you would agree with me, you feel at that place, mm-hmm. why be denied? We're, not, we're talking to God, we're not talking to, to them. And so uh, it's unfortunate that the posters and other violent demonstrations in the past are disturbing. Yes, very, very disturbing, and it brings to my attention what Zechariah, the ancient Jewish prophet, said there in chapter 12 and verse 2, that the Temple Mount and the fact the entire city of Jerusalem is going to be a center of controversy as the prophecies from the ancient Jewish prophets will be fulfilled. Well, that's why we have a conversation with you, Winky. We want to stay on top of all these interesting stories that are developing, how the archaeological dig is going on there in Shiloh, but the activities on the Temple Mount and all the attempted terroristic activities that they are trying to unfold on the world. Thank you for having an opportunity to visit with these congressmen, reporting it to us. I'm sure you made a great impact on them, and in particular there in Shiloh. And uh, you always do that with me. So I'm looking forward to another conversation down the road real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for the compliments. And it's always a pleasure and a privilege to talk with you and our listening audience. Thank you very much for having me on again. Very important conversation with Winky Madad. And he updates us on the visit by two United States congressmen there on the Temple Mount out at Shiloh in the Golan Heights basically on the ground in Israel, coming to an understanding of what's happening there so they can make the proper votes when they do have that responsibility in the United States Congress. Well, changing to another part of the world right now, we go to a key region, which is the European Union. The man who covers that for us, John Rood, we catch him in Tulsa, Oklahoma, And normally he is someplace around this world. We find him where he is and go to him to get an update on the European Union. And, John, let me ask you about the Russian foreign minister. He was speaking at the security conference being held there in Munich, Germany. Lavrov tells NATO that they had better change their course before it's too late. Now, he was actually talking about the fact that NATO and the European Union need to reject the false notion that Russia is a threat. However, Russia is a threat, is it not? Absolutely. You know, it's a continuation of pretty standard-type propaganda, but the emphasis and the magnitude of it is definitely strengthening, uh, especially in the face of the new NATO large-scale drills that are coming to the Baltics, and this will be the largest exercises since the Cold War. So, of course, Russia feels very sensitive about Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. 
the language, as you've mentioned, you know, the Euro- European Union, NATO needs to change course before it's too late, and that the structure of a Cold War rivalry is being recreated, escalating tensions and so forth. Two clear takeaways from the Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov's speech. Russia is clearly stating that Europe is following, in their opinion, a policy of confrontation, and that they're working on this appeasement that there's no Russian threat. So I, I just say, wow. They are considering to have a U.N. Security Council meeting, a summit, just between those members to speak to preserve peace. Yeah, you know, it's quite interesting. NATO, the foundation for NATO, was to be able to have a military arm for the European Union to fight off the Russian threat. So I don't think that's gone away. We'll stay on top of the story. What about the European Union and its foreign policy chief who is saying, hey, the EU better develop an appetite for power if they're going to have any authority across the world and play a key role. That's an interesting exhortation. Yes, this is an ongoing theme, and and actually it could be related to the Russian response as well, because the EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, which which we've discussed in the last weeks, is taking very strong stands, which have not been standard for the European Union, because, of course, they're very concerned about their influence on the world stage. So now that there's the new leaders that have come in late last year, they're taking very strong stance, but it doesn't fit within the European Union framework of how it works. So therefore, to make a statement that the EU has to develop this appetite for power, not only military power was made of precision, that the EU has to have the ability to act when there's no uh, unanimous decisions which are required, the EU still has to have the majority to be able to act. This is a very assertive statement. Um, and through the decades that I've followed the EU very closely firsthand, this is the type of statement which I call testing the waters. And so there could very well be some kind of plan on the table that would change some of the voting meca- mechanisms and allow the EU to have more forceful pressure on the world stage uh, obviously, since Brexit, it's more of an existential crisis if another major country kicks out. John, talk to me about the major shooting that took place there in Germany this last week. It was a shock. However, they are saying it was not a surprise, and it was aimed at the Kurdish community in Germany and the immigrants. Talk to us. Give us more details, please. Yes, so Germany is definitely dealing with far-right extremists. The latest incident in Hanoi, uh, as you said, directed towards Kurds. At least nine people have been killed. Germany has taken in one and a half million refugees from the Middle East. The immigration has been a major issue of eternal EU tensions, and there have been absolutely terrible events and atrocities such as this. Uh, Germany has a higher tension in this uh, because of the number of immigrants than some of the other EU nations. In particular, within Germany, East Germany has a higher unemployment. And uh, so there was a series just recently of arson attacks on hotels and so forth. So this is something that has been a continuing factor, and it's part of the uh, 
instability, Jimmy, that we see in the European Union. So many cracks and fissures, and we have the politics, the economics. Uh, they're working together towards an instability. John, I read a report earlier this week that Europe is not doing so well economically and politically. Now, when you read some of the reports like this, you're not exactly sure who is writing it, what their background, what their agenda is. What are your thoughts? How is Europe doing economically and politically? Uh, I do monitor and follow quite closely European Union economics. And, of course, the EU has used economics and the euro. Uniting the money was a very important step in towards a political union. So it's very important to be aware. What we have right now in Europe is uh, economic growth, which is slowing. The eurozone is on a brink of recession, which is not the case in the United States. There have negative interest rates. Uh, most of the large countries have negative interest rates. So imagine if people would put their money in the bank and you end up getting less. The euro is at the lowest value in seven years. So the economic growth is a concern. And then there's political shiftings, especially Germany, France, and Italy. Germany, as we've spoken, Chancellor Angela Merkel is losing influence. In France, President Macron has crises, strikes, reforms. And then Italy, the economy has moved backwards. The government is in a very delicate balance. So what will happen here? There's possibility, really, that Europe is currently not the best uh, location for investments. The ECB, the European Central Bank, will work to make more stimulus, but that's just putting off the inevitability of a larger crisis ahead. So dealing on the national level, we could, and we're looking after Brexit, of course, these tensions, who could be next? Is it possible another major country would work towards leaving the European Union? This is the type of trend that can lead to such a thing. Absolutely. And that is, of course, what we look at from a prophetic perspective. God's Word says there will be ten nations or Ten leaders are ten somethings, and we're thinking it's most likely nations that will become the revived Roman Empire out of what is the infrastructure of the European Union today. That's why we report on these political and economic activities. John, thank you so very much for the report. Have a good time in Tulsa. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. John Rood always gives us a very important report. We look at a region of the world that is key to the end-time prophetic scenario found in God's Word. Well, we're going back to Jerusalem now. Jim Jr. and his brother Rick, our two sons, are in Israel with a tour group out of Pensacola, Florida. And we wanted to get on the line. Jim, I always love to talk to you when you're there in Jerusalem. And I heard that you had an exciting experience landing there at the airport, then boarding a train, a really very fast-moving train coming into Jerusalem, and then getting into your place where you were staying as you awaited the tour group arriving. A pretty interesting experience, wasn't it? Yes, sir, Dad. Uh, good to talk to you. I always love talking to you when I'm here in Israel, talking <laughs> to you. Uh, as we do the radio program, yes, uh, when I landed at Tel Aviv, a new fast way to Jerusalem, 
is the train system that they have set up for $5. <laughs> you could get on that train in 25 minutes, be from Ben-Gurion Airport down wow. by Tel Aviv all the way into the center of Jerusalem and get off the train. Very high speed, very safe, very comfortable, clean. Sometimes you would think, wow, we should put all the tourists on this train and go to Jerusalem. <laughs> it would be a lot faster. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a fun time. We've never been able to do that, your mother and I. But I also understand they are considering and maybe even have approved the possibility that you can take the train from the airport all the way to the Temple Mount. Some pros and cons on that, but uh, what do you think the heartbeat of the people? Do they want to have that train taking them to the Temple Mount, which would be a very interesting experience as well? No doubt about that, Dad. The religious people, uh, the Jewish people flying in, landing at Ben-Gurion, within a half hour's time, you could be in all the way to the Western Wall, you're exactly right. There are pros and cons, and they have approved it. The Israeli government has already approved it. Uh, but there are some things. Archaeologists are a little bit upset. Uh, as you would well know, the Palestinians and even the country of Jordan is a little bit upset. This tunnel that would go underneath the city of Jerusalem would be about a mile and a half long. You're talking about drilling through bedrock and uh, limestone soil that has been there from 2,000, 3,000 years. Uh, what artifacts would be there? So there are quite a few people that are not on board with this, but the religious communities and those people coming in, it would whisk them right to the Western Wall Plaza. Well, what a opportunity. Fly out of New York or Miami or L.A. or wherever and then and within 25, 30 minutes, you're there at the Temple Mount, the most sacred piece of real estate for all the Jewish people. That's exciting. Well, speaking of exciting, how about the people from Pensacola? Their first time maybe to be in Jerusalem and into the state of Israel. Are they excited about their tour? They are, Dad. You know, I had a few people that came up to me and said, you know, I was a little concerned when I found out your father wasn't going to be on this trip, but after the first day, we don't need your dad. Now, he said it in a nice way, Dad, and you could take heart in the fact that uh, I'm doing a good job at teaching, and uh, people here, their first time here. Of course, on our first day, we go to Yad Vashem and uh, Shepherd's Fields and the Shrine of the Book, and actually to the Western Wall as the Shabbat comes in in the evening, and we see those Jewish young men and women, the yeshiva boys, as they come down from the old city, running down the stairs, singing to greet the, the Queen Shabbat, as they call it, singing and dancing. It's just a festive atmosphere always at uh, the Western Wall when Shabbat is coming in. Well, that is a experience you're never going to forget. You're able to look at Israel past, touch Israel present, and visualize Israel future. And You said you went over to the Shepherd's Fields. That's not quite into the desert, but I have been reading articles uh, that when you do your desert day down there near the Dead Sea and all along the Jordan Valley, that it's almost like a carpet of flowers there in the area of the desert because of all the rain. That's going to be beautiful. Uh, this has been truly a winter to remember here in Israel. The Sea of Galilee is overflowing. They've, they've had so much rain. The Sea of Galilee is overflowing. They've had to open the dams, the Jordan River where we take people to the Jordan to pretty close to the location of where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. That is overflowing. 
And consequently, because of the rain, the rain that flows, and when it comes down in Jerusalem, it flows down to the lowest spot on the earth, 1,500 feet below sea level. There's been so much rain that for the first time, these seeds that sit dormant under the ground in the desert for 10, 20 years, when, when they finally get enough water, they bloom. And uh, it's going to be something special for our group as we go down there. Usually it looks like, you're right, a desert, the Judean mountains and the desert there, the Judean desert, but with so much rain, it's going to be a carpet of flowers that people will be able to take a look at. Oh, you're, you're making me hungry for being there with you, buddy, and I'm sure your mom would have loved. She's almost crying every time you and Rick leave to take a tour group in Israel. I'm sure they're going to have a great time with you and Rick. You guys facilitate their venture into the land of the Bible so, so very well. Well, have safe journeys as you travel. I want to talk to you again next week, Jim, when you get ready to go over to Petra. So we'll talk with you at that time. I look forward to it, Dad, and we look forward to talking to you next week. And uh, we also want to extend the invitation for others to come and join us on our trips to Israel. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel, and there you can get all the information you need to get set up for a tour to the lands of the Bible. Jim, God bless you, buddy. Have a great weekend. And with the tour group, tell them all hi. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Dad. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have one more broadcast partner. That's David James going to talk about the Disney children's cartoon that has just been produced. You do not want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right after the broadcast, we head out to Mullins, South Carolina, the Mullins First Baptist Church. The pastor is inviting everybody in that listening area to come for a two-day prophecy conference all day Sunday and then on Monday evening. That's the Mullins First Baptist Church in Mullins, South Carolina. Well, glad you're with us. We'll have David James in a conversation in a moment about a brand new children's cartoon being produced by the Disney organization. Boy, you do not want to miss that conversation. How about taking the poll question for me? If you go to my website, my home page, prophecytoday.com, on the left-hand column, if you scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here's the question. There was controversy on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem this week, as was foretold in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2, where it talks about controversy in Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. The former member of the Knesset, Yehuda Glick, took the visiting U.S. congressman, Representative Johnson from Louisiana, and Jim Jordan from Ohio for a tour of this sacred spot. Then Yehuda Glick was arrested. This caused a concern by the congressman, Congressman Johnson, calling for freedom of worship for all faiths, the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians on the Temple Mount. My question, do you agree with the congressman's call for freedom on the Temple Mount? 
ask the question. And by the way, if you're at the website, go to my bookstore, find out how you can get a copy of my brand new DVD, United States in Bible Prophecy. It's a video that will be very informative. It's at my bookstore, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David is traveling in Africa, and we've come together for our weekly conversation. We look at an issue that is confronting the body of Christ. We look at it from a biblical perspective so that you may understand how to grasp an understanding of the issue, what God's Word says about it, and that'll assist you in your walk with the Lord each and every week. Now, last week we connected with David. He was in Uganda. This week he's in Ethiopia doing a conference. David, I believe this is for the second time in less than a year you're there in Ethiopia. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I was here last July speaking at a conference And that was the very first event that Word of Life had ever done in the country. The Word of Life Ethiopia director was one of my students in Uganda when the Bible Institute opened there five years ago. I was the first guest teacher there. And then a couple of years ago, his wife and his brother-in-law were my students in Uganda as well. And the conference is already well underway, and we've got our first day behind us, and we had over 30 in attendance, and I'm sharing the platform with two pastors who were here with me last summer as well, Daniel Geffrick, who is a pastor from South Bend, Indiana, and Don Trest, who is from Past Christian, Mississippi, and all of three of us were contributing authors to the book, What is Dispensationalism?, and we've really enjoyed getting to know one another and serving the Lord together, and also the Word of Life app. Africa Regional Director John Page is with us, and I've known him for a long time. As his dad was the Executive Dean of the Bible Institute in New York when I started my ministry as a Dean of Men there some 32 years ago. Well, John Page, a name out of the past for me as well. If you will, give our greetings from the DeYoung family to John. Sure do love that brother. He's a great missionary there in Africa, I believe in South Africa at this time. Well, a few weeks ago, one of the current topics that we thought about discussing, David, was Disney's newest children's cartoon, and it's called The Owl, O-W-L, The Owl House. So this week, I I wanted to go ahead and, and talk about it because I do think it's still very important. You're right, Jimmy, and The Owl House is the Disney Channel's newest children's cartoon that premiered just a few weeks ago, and it was already renewed for a second season, even before the first season began. Now, the main central character is a teenage girl who was sent to a reality check camp, which is a sort of a boot camp for troubled teens because of bad behavior. And instead of making it to the camp, she stumbles through a portal into another world called the Boiling Isles, which are the remains of a dead titan. Now, that's really strange. In ancient Greek mythology, the titans were gods who came before the Olympian gods like Zeus and Hera. And it's here in this place that the girl encounters two of the other main characters, uh, one a rebellious witch named Eda the Owl Lady, with the other being a little demon who describes himself as the king of the demons and whom a promotional material describes as an adorable tiny warrior. So the series centers around the adventures of this human teenager in this demonic realm, where she's the witch's apprentice and learns
demands from her and this little demon about how to acquire and use magic to fulfill her dream of becoming a witch. And, you know, Jimmy, I'm not against fiction or even fantasy per se, but I would say that normalizing interaction with witches and demons and the occult as just being innocent fun for kids, that's just going way too far in my opinion, and it's really all quite disturbing, especially as a children's cartoon. And David, what you've just told us to this moment is indeed very, very disturbing. You sent me a link to the official trailer for The Owl House. That definitely gave a glimpse into what this cartoon series is going to be like. And my guess is that most of our listeners may not even be aware of it. So, David, can you take a moment and share with us uh, some of your impressions on the trailer, for example? Well, Jimmy, first I'd say that the drawing and animation work has really high production values with some very talented artists on board. You know, I grew up in, on Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner, so that probably dates me, but I think the artwork of the Owl's House is somewhat reminiscent of the older cartoons while feeling fresh, and I think it will appeal to a broad range of, of kids. But I think this also represents part of the danger as well, because even though many of the themes and Characters are dark and scary at one level. The writers and artists have kept it somewhat bright and cheerful to take some of the edge off of it. And it's even billed as a fantasy comedy. And the trailer starts out with the main character saying this, So this one day I found a portal and ended up someplace I could never have imagined. Okay, well, I totally have imagined it, but this is even better. Then she says, this is the Boiling Isles, and it's amazing. The kind of place you just want to wake up every day and say, good morning, terrifying fantasy world. Then she goes on to say, the Owl House is where I live, and I live with this other person and the King of Demons, to which she responds to this little demon, she says, and he's a real cutie pie. Then she talks about Eda the Owl Lady, who is the most powerful witch on the Boiling Isles, and she says, someday I'm going to be just like her. Wow. That is, again, more information, but still as shocking and disturbing. Earlier you said that one of your concerns was that the cartoon normalizes interaction with demons as being just innocent fun for the kids. Now, this seems like something that needs to be taken more seriously than just that. Well, I agree, Jimmy. You know, this is not something to be played around with. First of all, demons are not cute, cuddly animals as depicted in the Owl's House, where King, which is the demon's name, basically looks like a sort of chubby gray fox who's wearing a mask. You know, demons are fallen angels whose king is Satan, the highest fallen angel, who has declared as his ultimate and single-minded goal to overthrow God himself, as recorded in Isaiah 4. Where we read these words about his rebellion. God says, You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And then we find in Revelation 12 that a third of all the angels that God created 
joined Satan in that rebellion. And we read in Genesis chapter 6 that some of those fallen angels tried to corrupt the human race through taking human wives, and I would say that this was to prevent the coming of the Messiah who was to be born of a fully human woman. And in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles regularly confronted demons, and they were destroying people's lives through physical ailments and diseases, and by causing people to seriously harm themselves. And you know, the final destiny of all demons, including Satan, is that they will be cast into the lake of fire forever. I think, David, a similar warning would apply to making it seem like innocent fun for someone to try to be a witch and learning the occult practices of magic, for example, like conjuring or casting spells. There's no doubt about it, Jimmy. In a Newsweek article about this uh, series, the Owl House creator, a lady named Dana Terrace, said, it's a demon world, so we can do whatever we want. And she went on to say, I just do what I want and let Disney tell me if I'm going too far. I'm always trying to push them to go a little bit darker and weirder because I find that stuff fun. And this Newsweek article also notes that the writer's room for the show is full of books on witchcraft, Mm. witches, and spells to take inspiration from. And the author of a different article, one that's in an upcoming issue of The Atlantic, says this, and and the title of that article is, Why is Witchcraft on the Rise? In the article it says this, casting spells and assembling altars have become quite lucrative. You can attend a full Equinox ritual organized by Airbnb, sign up for a subscription of witch boxes offering the equivalent of Blue Apron for magic making and buy Aura Cleanses on Etsy. And later she writes, the latest witch renaissance coincides with a growing fascination with astrology, crystals, and tarot, which, like magic practitioners, consider ways to tap into unseen, unconventional sources of power. And all these things, Jimmy, are explicitly forbidden by God, and those who practice them will face God's wrath and judgment. This isn't innocent fun, but it is a direction that society is headed as we move deeper into the last days. It's a time when good is being called evil, and evil is being called good. And that is a perfect description of the last days. David, what would you say are some things that we need to be aware of concerning God's view of the events and activities and production of these uh, children's cartoons, especially for those who may be thinking, we're just taking this too seriously? Well, as a parent and a grandparent myself, several things come to mind. The first is that our most important ministry in both evangelism and discipleship is our ministry to our family. You know, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And while there are no guarantees, everyone must make their own choices. This is an important principle concerning raising our children. And remember this, King Saul lost his life because he went to a witch or a necromancer. A necromancer is someone who engages in the occult practice of conjuring up and communicating with the dead. And in discussing sinful lifestyles, Paul says in Ephesians 5, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, the context isn't exactly about what the owl house involves, but I think that Paul's point applies. And finally, 
In Revelation 22, concerning the new Jerusalem in eternity future, John wrote, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. And that word translated as sorcerers, you could translate it as someone who makes potions. And those involved with the Owl House are practicing a lie. So it would be difficult to overstate just how serious this really is. I'm so glad we were able to finally get around to having this discussion on the Disney production for children, a cartoon. This is pretty shocking information. Folks, you may want to go back and re-listen to it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Then Prophecy Today Radio Network, PTRN, there it will be archived. You can listen or send the link along to someone else who may need to hear what David and I had to say today. David, thank you so much. We are going to be praying for your ministry there in Ethiopia with your two pastor buddies. And may God just bless as you work and build into the lives of those Ethiopian men and women who need to learn the truth from God's Word. We'll be praying for you. Be sure to give our love to John Page as well. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Once again, great to be with you. We're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side of the break, I'll have a look at the book. We'll take God's Word, see what it says about the issues we've discussed today here on Prophecy Today Weekend. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
on Prophecy Today weekend. As usual, our broadcast partners came to the broadcast table to give us reports and insight on current events happening around the world. Now, these reports covered issues that seemed to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and they continue to increase almost on a daily basis. You need to be sure that you've heard all of these reports, and you can do that if you'll go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we've archived all of the conversations, and once you know where to go to listen to those conversations, be sure to pass that link along to a friend who needs to hear all of this information as well. For example, in the conversations that we had today, I talked with Ken Timmerman. Ken is the man who covers geopolitical activities for us. In talking with Ken, we talked about Turkey and Russia in a confrontation inside of Syria. You might remember, if you think back, how the United States under Donald Trump pulled out U.S. military personnel from the border there between Syria and Turkey. That left a vacuum, and in came Turkey with their military powers. They went into Syria because in Idlib, the northeastern section of the state of Syria, there is still opposition to the Bashar Assad regime, which the Russians are backing up. They're propping Bashar Assad up so he can have a successful government which is key both to the Iranians and to the Russians, who each of these nations having a number of military operations in the state of Syria. Turkey and Russia are about to go to conflict. When you study God's prophetic word, it looks as if today is contradictory to the word of God, and it is. We do not see Russia and Turkey in a conflict in Ezekiel chapter 38, In verses 2 and 6, we see that Russia and Turkey, Russia, Magog, Turkey, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma, that these will align themselves together in an effort to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. What we're watching today is simply a preliminary activity, a precursor to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy These confrontations may go on today, but in the near future, these different players in the end-time scenario of God's Word will come back together. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. He is reporting that Iran has said they have all the sites in Israel within range of their missiles. They can hit any target in the state of Israel. Salami, who is the man who took over for Soleimani, who was the military genius head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, he has made the statement within this last couple of days uh, that Iran is ready to go after any and every target in the state of Israel. That's what the Bible calls for. We're talking about Turkey and Russia. In that same passage in Ezekiel 38, There is a name of Persia, one of the players in this alignment of nations, and Persia is what we know today as modern-day Iran. So when you study the passage, you recognize here's another player added to the scenario that will unfold 
very, very quickly. Winky Madad talked about a visit by two congressmen who were in the land to learn the real facts. They went into the Golan Heights, for example. They had a meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. They visited the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and then they ventured up to the middle part of the state in what is referred to as the West Bank, but it's the area, the biblical area, of Judea and Samaria. And there, Winky took them on a visit to the archaeological dig there in Shiloh, which gives evidence that the Jewish people have a 3,000-year history there in the land of Israel, which is exactly what God's Word promised would happen. John Rood talked about the development of an appetite for power in the European Union. The man who was calling for that The foreign policy chief, Joseph Burrell, is the one saying that the European Union had better get some backbone. They need to develop an appetite for power. Well, when you look at the scenario found in the book of Daniel, chapters 2 and 7, we see that there will be a group of political leaders who come together to reform the old Roman Empire. That's the ten toes of Daniel chapter 2, the ten horns of Daniel chapter 7, and the book of Revelation chapter 17. European Union must get stronger. They will be that revival of the old Roman Empire. We see that on the horizon as it relates to current events, setting the stage for Bible prophecy. And then Jim Jr. talked about the tour group. We're taking people to Israel for the purpose of showing them Israel past, Israel present, and then visualizing Israel future. This is key for you to understand Bible prophecy. Love to have you come along. Jim talked about the excitement of being in the land of the Bible. And finally, we concluded our conversations with our broadcast partner, had a talk with David James, our weekly conversation, talking about Disney, who has a production of a children's cartoon featuring demons, witches, and Satan. Yes, you heard me right. That's exactly what's going on. Children's cartoons helping them to get excited about demons, witches, and Satan. We need to be concerned about that. You parents need to understand it. That's exactly what the word, the prophetic word of God says in the last days. Satan and his demonic angels will come to the earth, attack the earth, go after earth dwellers to try to do what they can to convert them away from following the Lord Jesus Christ and coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and at the same time trying to wipe out the Jewish people so that the Lord would fail in keeping his promises to the Jews. Satan, the power of this world, would then be able to have his will unfold instead of the Lord. Now, all of these reports indicate we're moving quickly into the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Having said that, you must remember the next event, no prophecies to be fulfilled before, the next event, the rapture of the church. That rapture actually could happen even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.